It's good to have you here. Actually, no, seriously, I think the rest, I think everyone in Durango is sitting right here this morning. Everybody else is camping. So, uh, oh man, I hope you had a great 4th of July weekend. I, uh, my family and I did. We actually did something completely different. We were kind of, uh, uh, what, whatever you want to call it, we were wusses, okay, last night when it was raining, and we didn't want to go to the uh, fireworks show, so we, so we stayed at home. And I don't know if you've seen the show uh, American Ninja Warrior. How many of you have seen that? Okay. So we set up an American Ninja Warrior course in our house. And uh, it was actually awesome. We timed the boys, and uh, we had obstacle courses. We actually had them going on top of the counters. Um, it was a great time. And uh, the, the trick now, though, is I have two of my boys sitting in here. You guys cannot do that unless mom and dad are home. Got it? All right. Uh, no, it's, it, it, it is really... Great to have you here with us. We are beginning a new series in the book of Malachi. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. So go ahead and feel free to turn there to the book of Malachi. And we're going to be studying through this book, going through each verse, and just seeing what the Lord has for us. And I believe it is a timely message um, for us in the season of life that we are in as a church, the season of life that we're in as a country, and hopefully the season of life that you are in as an individual. This is going to be a very timely study for us uh, through the book of Malachi. And I want to just start out by, by just letting you know something that I know about you. Okay, you came here this morning, and I know something about you. All right? Does that, I don't know if that wigs you out or not, but I know something about you. And what I know about you is that you want to live a great life. You want to live an extraordinary life. You want to live a life of blessing. But we can be assured today that there are people right here in this room who are having great financial struggles, people who are battling physical problems, life-threatening illnesses or disease. Some may be here this morning who are battling suicidal thoughts because they can't see the purpose for their life. Many are battling relational issues, struggling with their weight, constant thoughts of anger, the death of a loved one. You know, the list of problems, the list, list of struggles, the list of dis- difficulties seems to never end. We, we all want to live an extraordinary life. We all want to live a great life. But we continually find ourselves in the middle of a battle. It seems like we're constantly in a fight. We're constantly in a fight to find purpose, to find fulfillment in life. So I want to begin this morning by just asking the question, how do we live an extraordinary life? Today we begin this new series, and it's entitled Extraordinary Life. And it's a study, once again, through the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And let me just begin by giving you the purpose of this study, the goal, the win, you could say. The win for this study is to help you stay above the crashing waves of life. The win for this study is to show you, to help you navigate the many problems that you will face in this life. And let me be clear, okay, just from the very beginning, there is not a pastor on this planet, there is no political leader in the world, no human being who can take your problems away. 
But I can point you to the one who can bring peace in the midst of the storm. I can point you to the one who brings great purpose to your life. And I can point you to the one through whom you can do all things. The book of Malachi is all about the one who brings life, who brings purpose, who brings great peace. So let's begin with a little background on the book of Malachi. Malachi was actually a prophet of God. He loved and he served the Lord. He was strong enough and courageous enough to confront an entire nation of people. He tells this entire nation of people that they are wrong and God is right. Malachi says some hard words to make soft hearts. And he's willing to bear the consequences of speaking the truth in love. Malachi, who is under the inspiration of God, could no longer stand by and watch. He just couldn't take it anymore. And God led him, God inspired him to step up and to say some hard things to this entire nation of people. In the book of Malachi, God is speaking to people who are weak in their faith. Are you weak in your faith? People who were spiritually immature. People who doubted the love and the goodness of God. These people were not spiritually strong. They were spiritually weak. Their future didn't look hopeful. Their future looked hopeless. Things were not going well in their lives. Things were not going well in their nation. Things were going very poorly. And some of you here this morning say, you may say to yourself, man, that sounds like my family. That sounds like my life. That sounds like my country. Malachi means my messenger. He was a messenger from God to give a nation a timely message at the right time. The words of Malachi were timely for a people who were struggling. And they are timely for us as well. Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament And after the book of Malachi, between Malachi and the book of Matthew, which is the very first book of the New Testament, there was 400 years of silence. Okay, so we can simply turn one page to go from Malachi uh, to Matthew, but that one page represents 400 years of silence. God didn't speak to people. He didn't send a messenger. He didn't send a prophet. There was no other books of the Bible written. 400 years of complete silence. So I'd like, I'd like us to think of the book of Malachi in this way. In Malachi, what we see is we see God the Father gathering His children together to plead with them, knowing that He wouldn't talk with them again for 400 years. Now, now imagine with me, okay, to try to help us understand what's going on in this book. Imagine your own son or your own daughter going off to war or going away to college. You know, they're leaving to live on their own. What would you say to them before they left? Knowing that your communication with them is going to lessen greatly. 
How would you counsel them? How would you instruct them? Imagine your child is going in the wrong direction. What if it was a rebellious child? They're making horrible decisions. And as a father, as a mother, you know you have to say some hard words to them to do whatever you can to keep them from ruining their lives, to help them live an extraordinary life. What would you say to them? How how would you begin the conversation with a rebellious child who's going full speed in the wrong direction? That's right where we're at in the book of Malachi. God won't communicate with people again for 400 years. Another book of the Bible won't be written again for 400 years. So He sends a prophet. He sends Malachi to speak on his behalf. To speak to a people who are spiritually weak, spiritually immature, and people who are going full speed in the wrong direction. So what does God say? Where where is God going to begin this conversation with the rebellious people? How would you start the conversation with the rebellious child? What would you say? Let's see how God begins in Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. God is directly speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Malachi. And here's how God starts the conversation with rebellious children. I have loved you, says the Lord. I don't know about you, but I love this. I love this. This right here shows the heart of our God. He starts the conversation with rebellious children by saying, I love you. I have always loved you. God's last words before 400 years of silence are, I love you. Do you know that God loves you? He loves you. God loves you. This is vital to living an extraordinary life because many people don't believe that God is love, that God is kind. Many people don't even know that God loves them. We think God is out to get us. We think He finds some sort of demented satisfaction in our pain and in our suffering, in our death or punishment. I want to say this morning, church, that is not true. It's not true. That's the furthest thing from the heart of our God. God is all about life. God's great enemy is death. God is all about life. Man is the one who chose death. God didn't want this for mankind. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's the heart of our God. God loves you, and in order for you to live the extraordinary life, you've got to know this. You've got to know that God loves you. You've got to believe this to the core of your being. 
You've got to live in His great love for you. Some of us who have been around church for a while, maybe we grew up in church and we we grew up with the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We have heard this so many times that when I just said what I said, it just bounces off you or it goes off you like water off a duck's back, right? It's like, I know God loves me, man. Come on, we're paying you. Can you give us something new? So why is this truth so important? Why is it so critical to know that God loves us? I believe it's so important because our great enemy, Satan, is referred to as the great accuser. He accuses us. He accuses God. He's the great accuser and he's really good at what he does He blames God. And what He does is He lies to us. He speaks to us and He says, that's God's fault. You know why you're going through what you're going through? That's God's fault. He doesn't love you. If God really loved you, He wouldn't be putting you through this. He blames God. He tells us everything is God's fault. And Malachi, the prophet, says, no, 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 wait a minute. Listen. God is our Father, He's good, and He has always loved you. How many times have you seen people go through hard times? Maybe it was the death of a child uh, or a loved one. Maybe it was a job loss. Maybe it was a health crisis. Maybe it was a church split. And somehow, God was to blame. Somehow, God ended up being at fault. God gets the blame. Why, God? Like, why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you keep it from happening? Satan, the great accuser, he's always accusing God. He's always accusing us. He's the one that's speaking those lies into your mind. That's man, You're putting yourself down. Some of us can go to the extreme where we are even cursing at ourselves. It's so important to know that God loves you because... Satan, the great liar, the great accuser, is always trying to put God in an area or paint God in a light that is untrue. Church, God never said that He would take our problems away. You can't find one Scripture that says, I'm going to take your problems away. And I have to remind us, it was our choice, it was our rebellion that brought death. That brought the fall of mankind. That's why problems happen is because of sin. It has nothing to do with God and His goodness and His love. God never said He would take the problems away, but this is what God did say. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I'll walk through the fire with you. I'll go through the problems with you. I will be with you. Did you hear me? I will be with you. Isaiah 43, 1-3 says, Thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And when thou passest through the waters, they will not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, you won't get burnt. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, Thy Savior. 
You're going through some fires. You're going through some tough situations where you feel like you're drowning. God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't forget that. I love you. I've always loved you. God is good. And He wants you to live an extraordinary life. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. And if only you knew, gosh, if only you knew how much you matter to God. You know the secret to having a good self-esteem? The secret is knowing that God loves you. God's love, that's the secret. Because if God loves you, who cares what anyone else thinks, right? God loves you. You don't have to prove your self-worth because God loves you. You don't have to wear certain kinds of clothes or drive a certain kind of car to get people to notice. You don't have to worry about status symbols because God loves you and that's all that matters, church. Freedom and peace come when you know and you experience the love of God. We were the ones, we were the ones who chose sin. We chose to rebel, yet God still loved us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Okay? It's not what our society is calling love. And by the way, if you want to know what real love is, you need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Okay? That's what real love is. Don't listen to the lies around us all over the place today. Real love is sacrificial love. It's giving love. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Man, knowing that God loves us, it changes everything. God began His conversation with rebellious children by saying, I love you. Parents, if you have a rebellious child and you have the opportunity to have a conversation with them, please, please follow the example of God. And begin that conversation by saying, I love you. May they never, ever doubt your love for them as a parent. Man, what a great example that God sets for us. Before we read on any further, I want to remind us of a very important teaching. Because we're about to read a couple verses here in the first chapter of Malachi that can stir up great controversy. Some of you are like, oh, alright, it's getting exciting now. Right? At Grace Church, one of our core values is unity. And we fight hard for unity. And we protect the unity of Grace Church. 
And if you're just looking for a fight, let me just remind you that we are not afraid to stand up to anyone who is trying to cause division within this church. Okay? Are you afraid? Be very afraid. (laughs) One of the tools we've used to protect the unity at grace is the teaching of non-essential beliefs versus essential beliefs. We summarize it this way. It's in your notes there. In essential beliefs, unity. We've got to have unity on the essentials. In non-essential beliefs, liberty. And in all things, love. Okay, where the Bible is unbending, we cannot bend. The Bible says, Jesus is the only way. Guess what? Jesus is the only way. That is a hill I'm going to die on. Okay, that's an essential. If the Bible bends in certain areas, we consider those to be non-essential beliefs. And in those areas, we have liberty, which means we can disagree and we can still be unified. But the overarching command from God is love. Is love. Love God. Love people. The two greatest commands. 1 Corinthians 13 summarizes it by saying, if you do anything void of love, it's worthless. It's worthless. It's meaningless. So as we read these next couple verses in Malachi, you need to understand that it deals with what I consider to be non-essential beliefs. Okay, There will be differing opinions even in this church, but we can agree to disagree. We can still be unified because in my opinion, it's a non-essential. And I want to learn, I'm going to just make sure of this. Okay, that's how much I care about the unity of this church. I'm going to lean on the Apostle Paul to make sure we all understand this. In Romans 14, Paul is dealing with some Christians who are fighting over non-essentials. And he says this, look at verse 10 in Romans 14. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I don't know about you, but that should put just a little bit of fear and respect in your heart at that moment when you read that. You are going to stand before God. For the the Scriptures say... As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And then he goes on in verse 13, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So instead of condemning one another over the non-essentials, Paul is saying, let's encourage one another. Let's build each other up. We have enough battles as it is. We have enough problems, enough issues that life brings our way. So let's not make it more difficult for each other. Instead of condemning over the non-essentials, let's encourage one another. Can I get a couple amens? All right. I needed that. Are you with me on this? Nod your head. Okay, let's dive right into the big old pool of controversy. All right? Malachi chapter 1, 
verses 2 and 3. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. All right, we have to stop right there. And we have to begin by just saying, who is Jacob and Esau, right? It's sadly, I have to say this, I don't mean to put anybody down, but sadly in our culture today, I have to explain who Jacob and Esau are. Because a lot of us don't spend much time in the Word, and I just want to encourage you lovingly to spend time in God's Word. It's an amazing book. It will change your life. But who is Jacob and Esau? So let's start with the births of Jacob and Esau. And we find this in Genesis chapter 25. So Malachi goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. And in Genesis 25, we find the birth of these two guys, Jacob and Esau. And we find out that they're twins, but they look nothing alike. Esau was born first, and he had red hair all over him. Esau was opposed to the things of God. He was always in conflict with God. We learn that Esau was a man's man. He was strong. He was a hunter with a killer instinct. But Esau was a man mastered by his appetites. He was more interested in the physical things of this world than he was in spiritual things. Now Jacob, we learn that Jacob was a plain man. He was peaceful and quiet. He was upright. He was a shepherd. He was protective. Jacob, we learn, he was a mama's boy. Okay, He, he just stood around with his mom all the time. And if we had to judge, okay, if we had to judge on... Uh, outward appearance alone, we would have all picked Esau. Okay? Because he was strong. He was tough. He was a hunter. He was a man's man. Esau was a self-sufficient, hard-working farmer. Jacob was none of the above. Jacob, the mama's boy, made many mistakes. But what made him different than Esau was his heart. And let me just remind us, church, The Scripture says that man, you and I, men, women, children, we look on the outward appearance. Remember? But God looks at the heart. God saw the heart of Esau and He knew that his heart was for the things of God. He wanted, Jacob wanted to serve the Lord. Esau, on the other hand, had no desire for the things of God. His heart wasn't for God. So we read there in verse 3 that God loved Jacob but hated Esau. How can this be? Like I spent the whole introduction of this sermon talking about God's great love for us. I thought God loved everyone. You know, there's, there's some who use this verse to teach what's called unconditional election. This teaching says that God elects, He predestines or He chooses some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. I've heard it put this way. It's it's like God walks into an orphanage and He adopts some, but He leaves others. Church, I believe God wants everyone to be changed by His power through Jesus Christ. Everyone. I do not, 
I don't believe God predetermined or predestined anyone to go to hell. So how can we make sense of this? Let's look at some Scripture. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3-6. through It says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people. How many? All. All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Toward you. Toward you. Toward you. You, 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 you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And this, this brings up the matter of choice. And there are some who say we have no choice in the matter. They refer to what's called irresistible grace. They say when the Holy Spirit draws you or when the Holy Spirit calls you to salvation, you can't resist it. God chose you. You will get saved. The Scripture disagrees. Acts chapter 7 and verse 51 says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You see, church, Christ calls all to salvation, but not all will respond with repentance. There will be some who reject, refuse, resist the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 23, Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And He wept and He cried over the people. And He said this in Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her offspring under her wings. Okay, This is referring to salvation, referring to protection. And it says, and you would not. You would not. You were unwilling. You resisted. There would be some here this morning who would say, that's because you're reading that crazy version, the English Standard Version, you know? So let's look at a couple other versions. In the King James Bible, it says, you would not. The Amplified Bible says you refused. The New American Standard says you were unwilling. And the NIV says you were not willing. Jesus says, I wanted to protect you. I wanted like a hen with her offspring. I wanted to put you under my wings. I wanted to save all of you. But you were unwilling. Listen to John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Excuse me. And it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. Let me say this, church. It's about Jesus. Okay? It is about Jesus. The Bible, listen closely, the Bible can actually get in the way 
if the Bible is used in the wrong way. It's all about Christ. Yet you refuse. You were not willing. You rejected. You refuse to come to me that you may have life. They chose not to come to Christ for life. I don't believe in unconditional election. I don't believe in irresistible grace. I believe God will carry out your choice to either come to Him for life or to reject Jesus, trying to earn God's favor with your own awesomeness, which is not very awesome. Yes, the Holy Spirit draws men and women and children to Himself, but they have the ability to reject the grace that God offers to them. Man, that is why it's so important for us to preach and for us to teach and most importantly for us to live out the Gospel. We have a responsibility, church, to make disciples the last words of Jesus before He ascended into heaven, if you remember, He was telling us to go and make disciples. We have a responsibility. Maybe you've wondered, like, what's church all about, man? Some good music and listen to a guy talk and maybe some socials, you know, where I can get some good hamburgers and potato salad. Like, you have a responsibility as a child of God to make disciples. And we will fight and we will work hard to get off the hook as much as we can. But the Scripture won't let us. We have a responsibility to make disciples. We have a responsibility. We have the truth of the Gospel. We have a great treasure. And we can't just keep it to ourselves. Come on. Man, there's a lost, dying, hurting world. We're to be about loving God. We're to be about loving people. And we should be spreading that good news, that great treasure to all who will hear. We see a great example in the Apostle Paul. You guys okay? Okay, nobody's charged the platform yet. This is good. We see a great example in the Apostle Paul. I'm actually, that was a joke. I think our church is awesome. I don't think anybody's really angry right now. Seriously. We have such a great church. I'm not even kidding. Our unity here is amazing. And I so appreciate it. Back to Apostle Paul. He took this matter of making disciples very seriously. Look at Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 27. He says, I declare today that I have been faithful. Man, I hope, I hope we can say this. This is, this is a bold statement. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. It's not my fault. Because I lived it. I preached it. I, I took every opportunity that God brought my way to proclaim the truth. I believe it's against the character of God to say that He took some people and damned them to hell without giving them any choice in the matter. It's against His character. I, I don't know that God. It's out of character with Him. 
But there would, there would be some who would say, but pastor, what about the elect? Like the chosen, you know, the elect. It's, it's in the Scripture. And friends, I have to say, there is an elect. But let me tell you about the elect, okay? First Peter chapter 1, the first part of verse 2 says, it's the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Election is based upon the foreknowledge of God the Father, not predetermination. Listen, God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. God knows. He sees the future. He knows who will trust Him. He knows who will reject Him. And those who make the decision to trust Him, they become His elect. And it's based upon foreknowledge. It's not based upon choosing or predetermination. He's God. He knows. That's, that's why I have a ladder here. Okay? You're like, why is the ladder up there? Please tell me. This is the moment. Calm down. All right? So this is just the visual I want to give you. Like God's ways are above our ways. He's higher than us. Okay? So just for fun, I'm going to climb up here and... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So God is up here. He's God. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And we are down there. This is God. He can see into the future. He can see the past. He knows the present. He's God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Okay. He knew that Chris was going to be a Cleveland Browns fan before he even made that choice. But he didn't make that choice for Chris because God doesn't make bad decisions, okay? He knows. He knows. He can see into the future. He can see into the past. He knows the present. God saw... When I was a 13-year-old boy, And I made the decision to follow Jesus with my life. He saw me make that choice before the foundation of the world. He drew me in. He gave me understanding. And I chose to listen. I chose to accept, to obey. Before time even began, God saw that I would surrender my life to Him. And when I gave my life to Jesus as a 13-year-old boy, I became the elect based upon His foreknowledge. Now God has predetermined. He's predetermined that all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. God exists in eternity. He's way ahead of us. He's, eternity goes forever this way too, and forever that way, and forever this way, and that way, and this. He's God. God exists in eternity. He knew the decisions that we would make before we even make them. And it was based upon His foreknowledge, but His foreknowledge doesn't make the decisions for us. You're like, man, this is just a weird day to come to church because this is making my head hurt. 
Mine's been hurting all week, all right? This is tough. He doesn't force us to accept Him or reject Him. That's what makes us unique as human beings because we're not robots, right? God didn't pick Jacob over Esau, but God saw that Jacob would have a heart for him and that Esau wouldn't. He saw that Jacob would be spiritually sensitive to the things of the Lord and Esau wouldn't. Each man had the right, the opportunity to choose God. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Man, the only way to live an extraordinary life is to choose Christ. To follow Christ. To obey Jesus. And to follow His way. If you choose to reject Christ and remain an enemy of God, your end will not be good. Let's continue to read Malachi chapter 1, verse 3. And I hated Esau. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to hate me, man. That's not a good place to be. I hated Esau. And let me just remind us, let me ask, why did God hate Esau? Because Esau rejected God's love. He rejected God's ways. He remained an enemy of God. So God laid, continue reading there in the verse, and God laid His mountains and His heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. I don't know about you, that just doesn't sound good. Alright? If you want to remain an enemy of God, your eternal outcome will not be pretty. It goes on to say, whereas Edom, okay, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. He's referring to Esau's lineage. The decision, let me remind us now, the decisions that you make, the paths you choose to follow, it will affect future generations. Esau didn't leave a great legacy. His legacy was awful. And as a matter of fact, one of his descendants was a guy named Herod who tried to kill Jesus. Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. They're basically saying, we can do this on our own. We don't need God. We're going to rebuild. We're good enough. We're awesome. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. Okay? That's kind of a common term like for young people. You know, you want to throw down? It's from God and man, way a long time ago. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. You're seeing the wrath of a holy, righteous God towards sin and wickedness. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. All throughout the world, God will be glorified. He will be magnified. So, so let me just say again, church, if you choose to reject God, to go your own way, to do your own thing, you're making the same choice Esau made. God says, I have always loved you. I made a way for you to be forgiven. 
I made a way for you to be set free. I sent my son to jump on the hand grenade that was right at your feet. He sacrificed his life for you. I made a way for you to be reconciled back to myself. But the choice is yours. I'm not going to make the decision for you. But I plead with you. I plead with you to choose Christ. Give your life to Him. Follow Him. Trust Him. I'm going to invite Keith and TG, if you guys would come up. And uh, they're going to sing a song during our time of response. But as I close out the sermon this morning, I just I want to end by praying for you, praying over you. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And I'm going to pray those scriptures over you this morning. All right? Man, I think as pastors, that's what we're instructed to do. We're supposed to pray for you. And I'm going to take an opportunity to pray for you. And these scriptures are amazing and powerful. And I hope it blesses you and encourages your heart. So if you would, join me in prayer. And I'm just going to pray these scriptures over you this morning. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Man, I pray today that you would trust Him, that you would make the decision to follow Jesus. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in Grace Church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. And now is the time for you to respond, for you to make decisions. And I encourage you again, make the decision today to give your life to Jesus. And, and if you do that, I, I would just encourage you to to talk to a pastor at Grace Church. Talk to the friend that you came with today to Grace. I encourage you to grab that card that's in front of you, fill it out, drop it in an offering box when you leave because we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you with your next step. God has always loved you. And you're here today as a Christian. You've already placed your faith in Him. You can respond today by giving generously by singing passionately, by serving diligently. And we can all follow the example of our Heavenly Father by loving people in word and in deed. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if we could do that? Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank You for this time. Thank You for this church. Thank You for being God. Lord, we're all going to stand and give an account. And I pray that we 
could stand in front of you with a pure heart, with a pure mind, and to say, Lord, I was genuine in what I preached and what I taught. Lord, I was was real. There was no hidden agendas, Lord. I gave you everything I had. And may we all be able to stand before Him and hear Him say, Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.